Promotional consideration paid for by the following. StevieRichardsFitness.com It's a brand new year, so make a brand new you by joining the SRF Resistance today. Russo'sBrand.com Get the real shoot from the most controversial personality in wrestling, Vince Russo. ProWrestlingTees.com Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talents worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and enjoy your 20% discount for the first five days of the new year and support indie wrestling today. GetAcreGold.com the online subscription service that delivers gold discreetly to your front door. Grow your gold stash using the affiliate link getacregold.com backslash horseman to start your subscription. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at get underscore acre and tell them the Hami Media Group sent you for an opportunity to win a free gold bar. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. It is Friday, January 3rd, 2020, and you are tuned into HTM Sports here at the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, and Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. This week's show presented by Get Acre Gold. Visit getacregold.com backslash horseman and follow at get underscore acre on Twitter for your chance to win a free gold bar. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy back from the streets of Cincinnati. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to HDM Sports. It's me, it's me. It's that all to the B to the V. Rick Victory back again. Hashtag HGS Woods. And yes, Jogger, you're exactly right. Out running the main streets of Cincinnati. Doing it. Doing it Moxley style. Uh, you know, we're just, I guess maybe it was more like Grand Theft Auto style, if you will. Yeah, well, we'll see if we can't get into that a little bit on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling podcast this week. Um, but, Rick, we have to start off on a bit of a solemn note. Actually, two solemn notes this week. Um, actually, actually, three. 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 Oh no, I might. I must have missed one. Uh, well, well, we'll start things off with David Stern. Uh, David Stern passing away at the age of 77 from a brain hemorrhage that he suffered about three weeks ago. Stern took over as the commissioner of the NBA in 1984, spent 30 years in office, joining the NBA in 1978. He is basically responsible for the globalization of the NBA. All the stuff that we were talking about with China earlier this year, none of that even happens without David Stern and his time as commissioner. Of course, it also helps that he took over as commissioner the same year that Michael Jordan was drafted. Uh, We had 150 international games broadcast in 200 countries, 40 languages. He was also responsible for putting together the Dream Team in 1992, the launch of the WNBA in 1997. David Stern, a real cultural icon, Huckleberry. That's going to say, you know, such a pioneer. And really his contributions, it's so easy to kind of sit back and reflect on the growth of the NBA and obviously give the credit to the likes of a Magic Johnson, a Michael Jordan, into, you know, evolving into Kobe, into LeBron, into, you know, the what we see from Golden State and Seth Curry and all that. 
as those front faces, it's easy to give them credit, but the man behind the scenes, that true driving factor was Commissioner Stern. You're talking about just globalization. It was so masterful in what he, how he evolved the game of basketball, where he took the NBA, is that he saw that they had a league, they had a sport that could be enjoyed by everyone. Even in its very simplest form, you could understand the concept of basketball. And it wasn't that difficult, you know, where we look at someone, you know, even in, inside baseball, you know, they say, you know, you only need, you know, the, the stick and the ball, but there's so many different players there. Right. Uh, in, in football, you're talking about, I mean, hundreds of dollars just in equipment and all that, where basketball is so simple. And it's easy to identify with the players. We talk about this regularly, and anyone in sports talks about this, is they're, they're much more marketable. We're in touch with those players because they're more visual to us. Yep, you, you can see their faces. They're not hidden by a hat. They're not hidden by a helmet. They're, they're just right out there. And there's only five guys on each team. So it's a whole lot easier to have a major impact on the sport. Absolutely. And even, even inside the game itself, I mean, the way they shoot basketball, we're up close. And you're seeing the, the facials and you know the emotion up and each and time down, up and down the floor there. You don't get that from the other sports. They realize that. And especially you know, reaching out, you talk about this globalization, this deal in China. I mean, how important was to go out there and strike that deal for Matt, for Yao? For Yao? Yeah, Yao Ming, of course, the, the yeah. first big Chinese player that make it in the NBA. And also, it can't be understated, the, the branching into Europe and the UK and bringing over those players as well. Well, it, I mean, it just kind of happened out of nowhere. Do you remember like one year, like in a draft, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. This league got flooded with foreign players. Uh, you were talking about the top picks, you know, just starting to come out each and every year. And then all these all-stars, uh, such a tremendous movement there for Commissioner Tony Stern. Kukoc, right? Was he the first one? The first like big name signing? Was it Tony Kukoc? Uh, I'm going to say, you know, yeah. And for him to land there in Chicago. With Michael and Scotty and going on right. that third or the, the second three-peat. And then they, they also had had, you know, Chicago was a great destination for those international players because people could recognize the Bulls. They knew Michael Jordan. So now they're, you know, this international stars playing along with Michael Jordan. I mean, it was a perfect storm. And then Dirk. And uh, I mean, once Dirk hit, I mean, everything changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Rest in peace, David Stern, as well. Don Larson, Don Larson passing away at the age of 90 from esophageal cancer, 81 and 91 for his career. He never won more than 11 games in a season, but he did throw the only perfect game in World Series history. 1956 World Series game five. Rick, this guy was traded to the Yankees. This stat is insane. As part of a 17 player deal. They traded 17 players back and forth. That's absolutely, like, I can't even imagine that. That's almost two teams. Can you imagine the confusion of trying to book those flights? Maybe you end up with the wrong team. Holy <laughs> cow. You would go 9-2 and two in 1955, 11-5 in 1956. He is a Hall of Famer because he threw the only perfect game in World Series history. I mean, it's that cut and dry. That was really the only thing he ever needed to do. What I think, you know, also that he speaks to this too is, is longevity and, and the want for, you know, to be around the league. But yes, I mean, it, it speaks volumes to if you can just be that amazing, 
that one time on that stage, it can solidify a, a tremendous legacy. Three and twenty-one in nineteen fifty-four. His last year in Baltimore, then he gets traded to the Yankees in 55, and in 56, he throws the only perfect game in World Series history. I, I heard a lot about Don Larson when I was growing up, man. That, that was just regular talk around my house, talking about Don Larson, Yogi Bear. I mean, looking at that, that lineup for the Yankees in the, in the late 50s, just absolute murderer's row. I was going to say, wasn't that their nickname, murderer's row? You bet. All right, hey, Huckle, just, you, just be perfect at one time. That's all it takes, right? Perfect game in the World Series. You're immortal, right? You said there was three. Who's the other one? Uh, this name might, you know, this might escape you. Maybe not as wide, widely recognized, especially here in Cincinnati. Uh, when we talk about, you know, professional sports and especially the, the Cincinnati Bengals really represented our only golden age. Uh, and that was our coach, Sam Weiss. Uh, not not really sure if you recognized his name. He he took the Bengals to to a Super Bowl where they lost to the 49ers. 88-89, uh, right? Yes. Uh, he was the head coach there. Um, left the Bengals pretty much when it, it was – they were ready to move on. Uh, they thought they, they had the blueprint in place. They parted ways with, with Boomer Esiason. Sam Weiss kind of went on his way. Ended up many years uh, with a great is – as is an analyst – for, you know, I believe NBC, CBS, whoever was at that time, uh, did a lot of studio work for them, but had to even step away from that because of uh, throat cancer issues. Uh, but he had just he has just passed away as well. He, probably most notable for anyone out there that, that maybe isn't as familiar with them. Uh, he was the coach that delivered uh, the shot heard throughout Ohio. Late, late season game, Battle of Ohio, Browns, Bengals. Here in Cincinnati, and our, our fans were being uh, a little outrageous, carrying on a little bit, and we were, uh, let's say, uh, well, hell, we were papering the papering the field with glassware. Oh Jesus! And Coach Weiss goes over, and he realizes, I mean, he's got a stadium full of sixty plus thousand maniacs on his hands. He grabs the the stadium microphone. And pretty much tells everyone to settle down. You don't live in Cleveland. You're from Cincinnati. <laughs> That's tremendous. So so is Cincinnati more West Philadelphia or East Cleveland? And it, it's it's in its own world here, especially in, in, the, in the state of Ohio. It, it's you have Ohio and then you have like this little corner southwest of Dayton. <laughs> which is Hampton County, which is Cincinnati. It's Southeast Indiana, Cincinnati, and Northern Kentucky, the, these tri-state area here. They don't really fit in with their own states, so we've kind of just adapted to our own little ways. Yeah, I drove through Cincinnati, but I've, I've never stopped in Cincinnati, and after knowing you, I have no intention of ever going back. Just, just saying Let's uh, let's talk a little bit of college football, Huckleberry. Uh, we got to start off with what happened over the course of the weekend. I know you don't want to talk about it, but but we have to. We just have to. LSU beats the pants off of Oklahoma, sixty three to twenty eight. Joe Burrow goes for four hundred ninety three yards, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions. I never want anybody to ever try to convince me that a Big Twelve team belongs in the playoff ever again. 
Never again. They just do not belong there. And Rick, this is something I actually heard Cowherd talking about yesterday, and it makes a ton of sense. The Big 12 is built for speed and these high-powered offenses. In order to win the Big 12, that's what you have to have. And then you get up against these SEC teams, and they're just bigger, and they're stronger, and they push them all over the field, and the Big 12 has absolutely no business on the field with an SEC team. Well, absolutely. You know, I was going to make the point here. It's Oklahoma's defense. They showed up because they played Big 12 defense. Yep. Yeah. Oklahoma's offense was not playing uh, up to the, the standard of Big 12 offense. It makes a lot of sense, though. It just takes a different breed of football. It's like Amer- it's like the indoor football league inside the Big 12. It's just up and down the field, and whoever can score the most points. And then you get in there, and it's time to play big boy football, and the Big 12 just can't do it because their teams aren't built that way. Well, Jogger, something you really said there is, is what's standing out to me, and you're talking about that they have shown you that they do not belong that they are not ready to go to that level to go up against the SEC, the the Big Ten, who any, you know, mid the mid-majors or the, you know, the middle of the pack in those leagues would dominate essentially the 12. Have they worn out their welcome now? You know, last year I was so big on this thing. Okay, Notre Dame, you had your opportunity. It was proven you did not belong there. It's gonna take a damn near perfect season to get back there. Has this is this it for the Big 12? As we're talking going forward here, even if they have a one loss and undefeated or that, are these committees going to sit there and question if they're capable of keeping up? Or are they going to start saying, okay, we know, you know, we need to rely on two SEC schools every year to keep this thing competitive. We need to rely on two Big Tens. Let's start, you know, reevaluating, giving these opportunities to the 12 that we've, that kind of the 12 are not the, yeah, the pack. You know, the pack has been let down because they felt they fell kind of into this lull where they just couldn't keep up with the rest of the country. Yeah, I distinctly remember that time period back in like, you know, the mid to late 90s before USC finally broke through that ceiling. They were built the same freaking way. And the whole Pac-12 started building themselves that way where it was like, you know, they would have a receiver that could run like a 4-2-40, but he was all a five foot eight. And then they would get into the Rose Bowl against these Big Ten teams, and we would just beat the ever-loving crap out of them every year. we just push them up and down the field. And that's basically what the Big 12 has become. You know, and what the only standout the pack had there for that good stretch was USC as their return to greatness. And now we know now everything that we know about that was fraudulent. And it lasted all of what, two years? Three Maybe years? Maybe one. Maybe one good class, like a like a le- one class cycle through three four years, maybe. Yeah, and that that was it. And Pete Carroll got the hell out of there before the shit hit the fan. You know, uh, let's let's talk about the game that was actually good. Clemson and Ohio State, twenty nine twenty three in the nightcap. This was an absolute freaking hell of a football game. Comes out, it looks like Ohio State is just gonna push Clemson all over the field, and Clemson just persevered and persevered and persevered. And the next thing you know, they're ahead. Like it just came out of nowhere. Huckleberry, it had to be just a crushing defeat for the state of Ohio because it felt like Ohio State won this game in every facet of the damn thing except for the final score. Well, absolutely. It's just- we're looking at this thing. This is this is a classic clash. This is what this playoff committee was hoping for. This is what you want, right? Uh, two absolute juggernauts just going out there throwing haymakers, 
round for round, pound for pound. I mean, this thing goes the distance. And and I know it, it, it's heartbreaking here in the heartland. We are hurting. Uh, but I don't want to sit here and be one of those fans. And, and believe me, Derek, I, I know you pointed out to me. I turned off social media afterwards because I was beginning to see this thing. From my angle, I, I think you just got to give respect to the Clemson Tigers. You know, they hung in there. The Buckeyes come out fast. You get that 13-0 lead. You, things are looking good for you. Uh, but Clemson's been there. They've done that before. It, it is, and now we're sitting here a week past that game. We're about a week out from a, the championship game. This is a very familiar situation for the Clemson Tigers. And as good as they are, as good as they can prove themselves to be, we continually question their worth, their value. You know, have they been tested? Are they ready for this? Or are they just going to go out here and turn it to a joke? And they stepped up to this next, you know, to this latest challenge. And now they've got a hell of, hell of another one in front of them in LSU. LSU favored by five and a half points over Clemson because, you know, we, we need to just doubt Clemson a little bit more. This Trevor Lawrence kid, my freaking God, he, he reminds me of Andrew Luck with a lot more hair. Like he just, he knows how to win and he just, he's bigger than everybody else. He's smarter than everybody else. And he just goes out there and does whatever in the hell he wants to do. Uh, Absolutely. A tremendous athlete here. And you got to, you know, even last year's we're talking about this, about this potential dynasty for him and his legacy in college football. I mean, hell, he's not even eligible till next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's got at least one more year, two if he wants it. Kid hasn't lost a game since his sophomore year in high school. Oh no, I don't know. I mean, I, I I've been on the LSU bandwagon for quite a while now. Clemson keeps this thing close. Trevor Lawrence is going to take over that game in the fourth quarter. Well, you know, real quick, let's talk about that. As we're looking at these performances, which one do you think is more impressive? I mean, I know with the stats, Burrow is going to blow you away. But I think, you know, Clemson. Absolutely. I think they were the more impressive team. I mean, it, Oklahoma just did not belong on the field with LSU. LSU went out there and just whipped the pants off of them. Hell, I, it was like LSU just basically quit playing halfway through the third quarter. That's the only reason that Oklahoma put up 28. I mean, absolutely. I mean, is you know, that win, that quality win over a team like the Buckeyes that plays Big Ten football, to me that speaks much more volume to a situation for Clemson's win over just going out there and, and dominating in a shootout over Oklahoma. Should be a good game. Clemson keeps it close. They're going to win that game. LSU might be able to come out and just jump all over them, just like they did to Oklahoma. But I think that Clemson defense is better than that. Well, and it, you know, also, too, you know, one thing that not a lot of people are talking about, and this thing's down in the bayou. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're looking at somewhat of a home game here for the LSU Tigers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's only like forty miles or something like that from the LSU campus. So, uh, Rick, you remember when the New Year's bowls actually meant something? When there was like eight of them, and that was how you would spend all day on New Year's Day. There was like four games, and they didn't mean anything. And the only one that anybody cared about, Michigan and Alabama, Alabama just beat the shit out of them. Uh, absolutely, and you know, this is. This it was is a part embarrassing. Of a bigger, well, it's part of a bigger <laughs> issue here, man. You, you just go back to the bowl season in itself. And what I regularly speak to, we forget that this is an amateur game. These are student athletes going out there for an experience. 
So at the end of, you know, before all this overly hype about we got to have a playoff system, we've got to have the bowl championship series. You you just went out there and you won your respective game. It wasn't about who's making this college football playoff, these four teams, you know, because think about how different the landscape would have been. I mean, you would have had, you know, Ohio State and Clemson would have been nowhere near each other. You would have had Ohio State playing Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Uh, they would have went on and won their thing, and I then you'd have seen down, that game. Actually, you would have had what down in the Cotton Bowl. You'd have an SEC representative versus who they play the ACC in that, yeah. or was it like an at large? I think there was a bid, uh, you know, an at large bid on those things. But yeah, I mean, it would have completely changed this landscape, and it, there's so much more investment because of the history that's there. But now you get into a situation, the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. I mean, you, you've got a team in there that's essentially a, a replacement. For a, you know, for that champion. Yeah, and the Rose Bowl was one of the better games this week. Um, Minnesota finishes off their eleven and two season with a win over Auburn. Did not see that one coming, but Minnesota just they outcoached Auburn. I mean that the game plan was perfect. Minnesota has two hundred and fifteen yards on the ground. They limit Auburn to fifty six. Time of possession, Minnesota thirty seven minutes and thirty five seconds to Auburn's twenty two twenty five. Auburn can't beat you if they ain't got the ball. Just run it right down their throat, go right down the field and score. This was just great game plan by Minnesota. And I, you know, we're talking about who are these games important to? Obviously, they're important to these programs. They're important to those actual fan bases. If you're the Gophers, you've got to be very excited about what you've got going forward. A tremendous season, and this is just that cherry on top. I mean, two losses, correct? Yeah, 11-2, and two, an 11-win season for the Golden Gophers of Minnesota. It's impressive. Um, as for Auburn, Rick, it seems like we were talking about Auburn every week having a big game throughout the entire course of the season. Hell, they beat Oregon early on, week one, I think it was, of the season. They lost an awful lot of big games, but they were all close. Auburn, as they get a little bit older and a little bit more mature, I could see them being a force down there, too. Yeah, I, mean, I believe they're still relatively young, so they're going to have this this core together for you know a season or two more. And, and that's what you kind of want to do. You want everything to culminate into that big moment where you've got that experience. You've got big games under your belt. Uh, they're going to, they could very well be that next breakout for the SEC. Yeah. As you're looking at the SEC, man, it's just loaded. Cause I mean, it's not like LSU is going to take a step back next year with a new quarterback. Of course, Alabama, they're not going to miss a step. Florida, they're not going to miss a step. Georgia maybe takes a little bit of a step back without from, I mean, but it's still going to be a loaded conference. It, and it really makes you feel for these programs that are making strides going forward. It, it seems, you know, they're taking giant steps forward for themselves, but in the grand scheme of the SEC, it's not enough. And, you know, I'm looking at teams like a Kentucky. Uh, right. who was who was impressive in their bowl victory. Yeah, you know, they, they might be the 15th best team in the country, but they're like the eighth team in the SEC. It's Absolutely. Crazy. Insane. Oregon tops Wisconsin and the granddaddy of them all, 28-27, to Oregon's third straight Rose Bowl win. And, Rick, this game all came down to turnovers. Wisconsin made four of them. Oregon scored 21 points off of four Wisconsin turnovers. You just can't give an offense that high-powered the ball four times and just let them go. Hey, you know, three, three uh, straight Rose Bowl wins, great for Oregon. Uh, this is where what they need, though. They need to keep, keep avoid that late season upset that they've been getting that is keeping them out of having an opportunity 
to go show what they can do inside these playoffs. Really like Justin Herbert. I think that kid is going to be really, really good. And unlike Joe Burrow, unlike Trevor Lawrence, unlike Tua, he's not throwing the five-star recruits out there. I think he's going to be really, really good in the NFL. Georgia proves our point from earlier as they shut down Baylor 26-14. That high-powered Baylor offense that just goes all over the field in the Big 12, 14 fucking points against Georgia. Thanks for coming, Big 12. Get the fuck out of here. What was the total points for Oklahoma and Baylor in, in these bowl games? Um, Let's see. Oklahoma had 28. Baylor had 14. So that's, what, 42 points? They still wouldn't have beat LSU. LSU still beat them by three touchdowns. Well, I, you know, I, you know that 42 combined between these two schools in, in separate games, in their bowls, respectively, Let's go back to the big, you know, to the 12 championship game. Didn't they go over 100 points combined? Yeah. Right? I mean, just Baylor offense, 295 yards, three turnovers, 61 yards rushing, 234 yards passing. I mean, just nope, not against them big SEC bodies. Just not going to happen. Huckleberry, yesterday we had a couple of games. Boston College versus Cincinnati. How'd that game come out for you? Hey, Bearcats uh, ending on a, on a positive note there, looking very strong, very dominant. And you got even, and I know they were the hands on favorite here. Boston College has fallen off, you know, in, in all aspects of athletics, it seems, uh, but still a recognizable name. And I think a quality win for, for the Bearcats. Very nice. Very nice. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit of hockey. We haven't talked much hockey yet this season, and we're getting to about the halfway point. And we had one of the biggest spectacles in all of sports, and it kind of went under the radar this year. The Dallas Stars topped the Nashville Predators 4-2. to two. Yeah, just a regular season game. But this one, this was held at the freaking Cotton Bowl in Dallas. 85,630 people, the second largest crowd ever for an NHL game. The 2014 Winter Classic Toronto at Detroit in the big house drew 105,491 people. Rick, I don't know if you watched this thing, but this was a great freaking hockey game. I got some of the highlights. Dallas down 2 nothing, scores four goals in just under eight minutes, three of them in the third period. I absolutely love this, especially in a place like Dallas. I was like, how in the hell are we going to do an outdoor hockey game in Dallas? This was awesome. You know, overall, you know where my mind immediately is going, and it's to that office. It's to that marketing side of things. If you're the NHL, you know, we kicked off the show here talking about a visionary you know, Commissioner Stern and growing the NBA. You know, if you're sitting there at the helm of the of the NHL right now, if you're any any kind of hand in response, you know, being responsible for trying to get this sport back where it once was, you know, going back just what 15 years, 20 years in its heyday before the the strike, before they shut down for was it two years, season yeah. and a half that absolutely devastated them. Yeah. I mean, this has to give you a sign of hope. This is a positive direction for you to see you know a follow-up from a few years ago with 105 to this grand spectacle that eat that that you're still can continuing to do this and what you say 85,000 85,000 people for an outdoor hockey game in Dallas Texas it, it, I think this that, that's a tremendous statement for you especially going forward as you're trying to shop and advertise this thing to to other potential outlets 
advertisers, sponsors. The best thing is they think that 20,000 of those fans were Nashville Predators fans. The Nashville Predators arena won't even hold 20,000 people. But 20,000 Predators fans went to a hockey game in Dallas, Texas on New Year's Day. Awesome. Yeah, it is, is your, I think what's even more impressive there, I mean, you look at it from Nashville. I mean, that's SEC country. Wouldn't those people be invested in college football? Yeah, you would think. And they're still making that trek there to check out a, a hockey game? Yeah. Now, I guess the bigger question here for the NHL is what's next? I mean, how do you capitalize? How do you keep, you know, keep the snowball going? Well, I'm happy that you asked that. The Minnesota Wild are going to host the 2021 Winter Classic at Target Field, where the Minnesota Twins play. So that should be a pretty awesome spectacle, too. Especially if they're smart and they do it as like, you know, Blackhawks at Wild, Blues at Wild. But, I mean, we're getting this success, you know, once a year from these outdoor games, these these winter classics. How is that translating into, you know, retaining viewers? Uh, we know we know the hype around the playoffs, but even that has seemed to drop off in recent years. You know why? Because the Blackhawks stink. Uh, it, that, it is, that is one of the points there. And, and the when Kings, your major markets... The Kings stink. And the Rangers haven't been good for a long time. And the Islanders, they're kicking ass this year. And that's going to really, really help. But they're still the Islanders. Uh, Toronto stinks. Like, without those markets, it really hurts the NHL. Well, I mean, isn't, I mean when we're talking NHL, I mean, this is like an all-time low for just Canada itself, right, as a representation. Yeah, they've, they've just been awful. I mean... It doesn't matter if it's the Canadiens, if it's the Flames, if it's the Maple Leaves. Like, it's just. And you end up now, you've got these these markets. I mean, it's great that they're having success. I mean, looking like, it, you know, looking at Las Vegas. But, I mean, how much do you build of a, a true fan base in a, mean, a city like Vegas? Even like Columbus uh, last year. Like, Columbus was going freaking crazy when they got into the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, you know, like, how many how many fans are you? you attracting in Columbus, Ohio. I have grown. I mean, they're the biggest city in Ohio now, but I mean, how much of that is going towards, towards hockey truly. Right. And now that you've lost Artemi Panarin, like I, I don't imagine that you're doing quite as well this year. Well, and then you look at, you know, other great markets here. I mean, the Carolinas. Yeah. Okay. Great. But I mean, not really a traditional hockey town. I mean, how many Tampa Bay lightning, you know? Yeah. At least they got Boston. How many places, you know, like the family, the kids, you, all right, let's go down to the rink and get the hockey game. Like, where? Where, where the hell's the rink? <laughs> yeah, especially those original six. When those markets are down, it, it really, really hurts the NHL. NBA, New Year's Day games. Huckleberry, we actually had some good games, starting with this first one. Milwaukee Bucks, 106. The Minnesota Timberwolves, 104. Giannis gets his 30th double-double of the season. 32 points, 17 rebounds. Uh, I guess it does need to be stated that Minnesota put up 104 against the Milwaukee Bucks with no Carl Anthony Towns, no Jeff Teague, no Trayvon Graham, no Andrew Wiggins. Like, I don't know what's gotten into Milwaukee, but ever since they beat the Lakers, that team has not been the same. And I don't know if it's just dealing with injuries or what, but there's something up in Milwaukee. Well, you get into this part of the season here. 
You got that long holiday stretch. It, this regularly happens. We're going to see this through, especially through January into February, where you see these teams heading into the All-Star break. And then it's kind of like that you turn that corner at the All-Star break and you're back full gear. Yeah. Uh, if anybody was curious if the NBA was a work, uh, it absolutely is. And it was proven on New Year's Day when in a feature matchup, they had scheduled the Portland Trailblazers at the New York Knicks. The NBA knew Carmelo Anthony was going to sign with Portland and scheduled this game for New Year's Day in a feature matchup. Julius Randle goes for 22 points, 13 boards. Mitchell Robinson, 22 points on 11 of 11 shooting. Not to be outdone, Carmelo Anthony in his return to MSG, 26 points. 11 of 17 shooting and seven rebounds. When's the last time you saw Carmelo Anthony get a freaking rebound and he got seven of them? Portland should have won this game. I think that's where, you know, the work is in. Look at this stat line from Carmelo. Portland should have won this game. Damian Lillard stunk. Five of 20 shooting and only 11 points as the Knicks top the Blazers in Mello's return to MSG on national TV, 117 to 93. Huckleberry, this was awesome. And New York still loves Mello. And you know what? The bigger picture here to me is this is this is the bait, man. You, you got people like Big Ray Hernandez out there thinking that 2020 could be the year that the Knicks turn it around now because they came out of the gate firing. Guess what? Guess what? They're still going to be the Knicks. Still they still suck. The yeah. I, I did enjoy the MSG crowd chanting, we want mellow. <laughs> I thought that was great. Magic beat the Wizards 122 to 101. I did not watch this game because the Magic and the Wizards both stink. The Lakers hang on against the Phoenix Suns 117 to 107. Rick, this game was terrifying. The Phoenix Suns were down 36 points at one point. It was 43 to 17 at the end of the first quarter. 74 to 41 at the half. And the Lakers win this thing by 10 points. I, I thought I was going to have a freaking heart attack. I could not believe that we let the Phoenix Suns come roaring back. It was just like the Lakers were like, yeah, we're good. And they just quit and they quit fucking playing. 2K20, right? Isn't that the NBA? Oh my God. It was, it was terrifying. Just terrifying. I was like, oh, my God, we were up 36 points and we're going to lose to the fucking Phoenix Suns. Really? Thankfully, they won. Lakers now 18 and 0 against sub 500 teams. Yeah. Padding out those stats. The stat that matters. We're 0 and 2 against Clippers. Rick, I don't get that right. I, I don't know what the hell happened on Christmas Day that they, they, they suddenly turned back into the Los Angeles Fakers. That was not the Lakers team that we have seen all season. Or are we just seeing them against really bad teams and think that they're good and they're not? Are they the Patriots? <laughs> hey, well, you got to, I always say this, you know, you got to play who's in front of you, right? So at least they're, they're doing this right. They're taking care of these. They're not letting up in these games that they should be dominating in because those are what's going to come back to ultimately bite you in the ass. 
You want to keep yourself in position. So if looking for one positive here, that 18 and 0 is is incredible because it's, they should be doing those. But how often do we see teams where they don't? And that's the letdown. Yeah, can't beat the fucking Clippers. That's that's a problem. BQ ain't gonna let me hear the end of it. Don't like that at all. Let's talk about some NFL. Rick, it seems like Jason Garrett's gone. It has been released to the media that the Joneses have decided to move on from Jason Garrett. If that's the case, then how come the Cowboys haven't said, we have decided to part ways with Jason Garrett? How come I'm reading all these media reports and... Like, I've been reading this since, like, 9.30 last night. It's 9.30 in the morning now. In 12 hours, the Dallas Cowboys aren't going to announce this? It's just going to leak out in the media? Isn't there a chance that Jerry Jones just woke up this morning and said, Nope, fuck it. I'm sticking with Jason. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I, I was kind of sitting back and reflecting on this situation about a couple of times the last couple of days. Is this a case of where Dallas wants to, uh, uh, instead of coming out with the announcement, we're going separate ways and then dealing with all the speculation in the circus about who that next coach will be? Are they trying to get that person in place so they can come out and just say, all right, we're just, it's one big clean announcement. You know, thank you for your years here, contract up, right? Now we've gone and we are locking in this individual. We have our direction. Or are they trying? That's what I'm saying. Are they trying to avoid that circus that we have come to know from the Cowboys? Well, now it's become a circus because they had a meeting on Monday and they didn't come to any conclusions. And then they had a meeting on Tuesday and they didn't come to any conclusions. And then they had a meeting scheduled for Thursday, but the Thursday meeting didn't happen. And evidently, Stephen and Jerry have decided that they want to part ways with Jason Garrett. They told that to a reporter. Now it's everywhere but the Cowboys haven't confirmed it. Jason Garrett's still under contract until January 14th. That's what they might be waiting for. Let that thing expire out. Let's then we've got ourselves over a a week now to start, you know, really honing in and and get a deal done with our next head coach. Maybe that's exactly what they're looking for. Maybe, you know, when I say they're done with him in a certain capacity, maybe he is going to be able to stay on with this franchise. He's going to transition into some kind of office position. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot in play that we don't know that we cannot just simply jump to a conclusion on, uh, based off of an offhand comment made to a reporter. Jason Garrett, 85 and 67 in his tenure in Dallas. He had one losing season. That was in 2015. They went four and 12. Oh yeah, and they got Ezekiel Elliott out of that deal. Um, Rick, is Jason Garrett going to get another head coaching job? that's where you lend speculation. Maybe he's got something in place where he's going to be moving into the office. Maybe there is another role with him inside this organization. Uh, It seems, you know, that whatever reason, year after year, I mean, they've had their success, but not the success that is expected when you're putting on the star, but they they remain tight throughout throughout his tenure here. Uh, Another aspect here, the Cowboys are about showmanship. They don't want to be outdone. They they want to be the in the the center of the spotlight. They are the spectacle. Are they waiting for a better time to make this announcement? I I don't know yeah. what the hell are, do, are, do they want. Do they want to steal the spotlight from something? Do you make your announcement Super Bowl weekend? Now all eyes, everyone's talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe you just do. Maybe you just take a low blow and you make this announcement 
after the Eagles get a big win. So now everyone's still focused on the Dallas Cowboys in the East instead of what the Eagles are doing in the playoffs. Now, given everything that we said about the Big 12 earlier in the show, do you think there's a real possibility that Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma and takes that job? Is he a big enough? Is he high profile enough? Well, the two names that I keep hearing are him and Urban Meyer. It, se- it seems like this is a two-candidate job, even though they're going to have to interview, you know, probably a half a dozen people. But it seems like it's down to basically those two guys. I'm not even sure which one I'd rather have. I think you probably – I still think you're the ultimate candidate for any team out there right now would be Urban Meyer. It, uh, gr- granted, you know, it hasn't proven anything in the NFL – but look what he's done at, at so many different programs through college and how diverse those teams have been and that highest caliber of athlete. I don't know if I trust Riley with an NFL program. I don't know if I trust Urban Meyer and Jerry Jones to exist inside of the same facility. That's my issue. Like if it was going to be Urban Meyer is going to be the head coach and the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys and he was going to have complete control over all football decisions – Absolutely. I think Urban Meyer is probably the better coach. Urban Meyer, is he going to be able to tolerate taking Jerry Jones' shit? I mean, it it really comes down to those two alphas. Mm -hmm. I mean, could you imagine, you know, comparable to pro wrestling, if Vince McMahon had actually put it, maybe it's what we just saw a little bit ago, Eric Bischoff in actual position of power instead of just an on-air authority. Yeah. Lasted all of like, what, three weeks? All right, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, another team inside of the NFC least, the Washington Redskins. They they got their coach already, Ron Rivera. Yeah, he's going to be the new head coach of the Washington Redskins. Jack Del Rio also hired as the defensive coordinator for the Washington Redskins. Rick, do you think that they can actually turn this team around? Uh, you know, the Redskins are wasting no time to kind of get moving here. They're not going to kind of stall the gate. They don't want any speculation. They, they want their fan base to know they are moving forward here. What really jumps out to me is the signing of, of Jack Del Rio for de- the defense coordinator. Yeah, I agree. Um, and everybody, it, there seems to be some kind of a consensus that Ron Rivera, he did great things with Cam Newton, so he's going to be able to do the same thing with Dwayne Haskins. I don't know, Rick. I, I I know that he's an OSU guy and everything, but nothing I've seen out of Haskins says he's ready to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. The Redskins are going to be picking early. This is a very, very deep quarterback draft. Any chance that the Redskins just bring in somebody else, whoever Ron Rivera wants? I think, you know, that that's... Do you give the young kid, you know, some time to continue to grow? I agree with you 100%. He was kind of thrust into a position... Uh, had a little bit of success, but you know, not not yet ready to take the the keys to the kingdom. It will be interesting to see if they're going to go in a completely different direction here. Yeah, I mean, new coach, bring in a new quarterback. I mean, you, you can move off Haskins. You're not really losing anything. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's talk about the Browns. As embarrassing as they are, they actually got this thing right. Dorsey is out as the general manager of the Browns. Rick, I have to assume happy days are in Cleveland again. Well, it's rinse and repeat. Uh, how often do you see this? You know, wasting zero time, relieving the relieving Kitchens from the coaching position, which I don't think him is. Uh, Didn't even a real wait for Black Monday. 
Get that motherfucker. You lose to the Bengals, you don't even get to pack up your fucking shit. We will send it to you. Get the yeah, fuck uh, out. That, that's absolutely what happened here. Instead of Black Monday, now we've got Brown Sunday. You don't even... <laughs> You don't even get to go across the river to the fucking airport. They're leaving your ass here in Hamilton County in the 513. You're absolutely done. Not just beaten by the Bengals, but I'm kind of embarrassed at that point. And then you go, you really got to look at whose fault everything is. Who is this going to fall on? You're absolutely, you're not going to fire the owner. Well, you uh, should. So the next one, <laughs> oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what really gets me is this, the fan base there. And believe me, they're very close to my heart. I, since moving, Relocating up north, uh, I, I, a fondness have grown within me. Uh, they're very passionate. They are, they are hungry. They, they, they want a championship. They want to succeed. They need it in life. You know, a, a true blue-collar town. It, it's seen better days. They, they just need something that's uplifting. And outside of everything, the, the success they've had with the Indians, uh, championship with the Braun. I mean, they would trade all that for, for even a taste of something with the Browns. And now the talk that the Browns are, they're serious. They're, they're going to make a strong push for Urban Meyer. And I can't just kind of help but laugh about that. Urban Meyer's not even picking up his phone from anybody in the 216 area code. Like that is just not happening. No, the only thing I guess that it would maybe give a, a, a glimpse of hope is that they have two openings there, a general manager and a head coach position. So they could hire him for both. To me, that's Mike McCarthy. And you know what? That's going to have to be. I mean, you're really, you're seriously going to have to eat some crow and go back to revisiting this and say, okay, we messed up. Yeah. We dropped the ball here. We are sorry. They had that deal in place with the one stipulation that you had to keep Freddie Kitchens as your coordinator. And he said, no. That, and I just, I need, and then I want him on hard knocks because I need Baker Mayfield and Mike McCarthy interactions on at least one hour a week. If we can get hard knocks on seven days a week, just so I even, you know what? Screw it. Let's just make it the Baker and Mike show and put it on for an hour every night. I would watch the shit out of that because I can guarantee you those two guys, they're not going to like each other. Yeah. What do you have? Like guest appearances from Aaron Rodgers? You betcha. You betcha. That would be such a fun show. I would watch the shit out of that. Let's talk about Jameis Winston. And you're the one always getting on me about loving terrible reality television. Oh, man. I I do enjoy a good train wreck if it's a subject that I can enjoy. Kind of like Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston is my new favorite player in the history of the National Football League. He has overtaken Deion Sanders. He has accomplished history, ladies and gentlemen. 5,109 yards. 33 touchdowns, and you all laughed at me when I proposed that this was going to happen. 30 interceptions. Congratulations, Jameis Winston, the first quarterback in history to throw 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, let alone for 5,000 fucking yards. Oh, yeah, and he had seven pick sixes, including the one to end the Tampa Bear, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' miserable season. Rick, Jameis Winston, going to be a free agent. They have to bring him back. He, Jameis Winston has to stay in Tampa Bay. He has to. They got to sell tickets down there, and Jameis Winston is absolute must-see. He is Jameis the Miz Winston. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with that or disagree with that. 
Everything is head on down there. You don't know what you're going to get. We've had this conversation a couple times over the course of the season. Uh, even going back, it seems like every other week, you know, who are you going to get here? It's, it's Jekyll and Hyde. Seven pick sixes. He threw more pick sixes than Aaron Rodgers threw interceptions this year. I mean, it's exciting. Gotta love me some Jameis Winston. Let's talk some playoffs. He's like, he's, he's dot, dot, dive football. Yes, yes, yes. I-N-T-E, dot, 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 I-N-T. There you go. Hashtag HTM sports, dot, 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 I-N-T. Put that on a T-shirt. Uh, let's talk some playoffs. Uh, Saturday, Huckleberry, the AFC is going to take center stage. And I got to tell you, man, I like both road teams. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I like both road teams. Towards the Bills, but I'm not going to be absolutely shocked to see, to see the Houston Texans win this thing. We know both Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson, they like to get back there, and then they like to take off running. Josh Allen, number three, and Deshaun Watson, number four, in QB rushing this season. Texans defense giving up 5.6 yards per quarterback rush. That's the second most in the league. Buffalo allowing 2.8 yards per quarterback rush, the fewest in the league. Yeah, and they did that to uh, Lamar Jackson, too. Gave up 40 yards to Lamar Jackson on the ground. I like Buffalo a lot. And then Titans at Patriots. This is your primetime game. It's going down at 8.15 Eastern Standard Time. It's on CBS. New England is favored by five. And the Titans are going to go in there, and they are going to end the empire. Derrick Henry is going to go in there and run all over that New England defense in his last five games. 211, 86, 103, 149, 159. Derrick Henry is going to go in there and go for 170 yards on the ground. They're going to keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hands. Not that he's going to be able to do anything with it when he actually has it. Titans are going to go in there, and they're going to end the empire. Tom Brady's last game in Foxborough, and he will be the starting quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers next year. Uh, okay, man. Uh, in a fantasy world, I think. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I do like the, the, the Titans' chances here. Um, it, it's going to be, this is really going to be come down into, if, if the Patriots want to continue on to keep that hope alive there in New England, the show that they still can go to that second level, that they still dominate this league, it, it's going to have to start up front defensively. So much is going to have to fall in their favor there. And then ultimately, I, I'm looking for, you're going to need one or two big plays from that secondary. Ryan Tannehill, 70.3% completion, 2,742 yards, 22 touchdowns, six interceptions. He's only played 12 games, so his stats are down a little bit. But that 70.3% completion, that's what really stands out to me. Huckleberry, are they going to bring Tannehill back to Tennessee next year? I I would assume so. Uh, I know they've got a lot tied up there, but... If everything's working right now, and, and it's, I think this game will be very telling in itself, even in a competitive loss, and you still have got to be feeling quite good about about what this team has accomplished. Sunday, I, I, I'm more home teams. Vikings at Saints, 105 on Fox. New Orleans is favored by 7.5. Since 2013, number six seeds, 6-2 six and two in the wild card round. I don't think that's going to be the Minnesota Vikings this year. I just don't see it. Buffalo, maybe. 
But I don't think Minnesota's got the firepower to go down there and beat Drew Brees and the Saints. I'm actually expecting this if of these wild card round games. I actually am expecting this one to be the most lopsided. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing that a little bit in this in the line that we're getting out of Vegas. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints win this thing by three scores. Yeah. Saints six and one at home with Peyton and Brees. Um 16 touchdowns, three interceptions in home playoff games for Drew Brees throughout his career. This is really going to come down to Dalvin Cook. I, I do not trust Kirk Cousins to go down there and beat the New Orleans Saints. But if they feed Dalvin Cook the ball and he's actually healthy, which I don't think he is, but he can go down there and have a big game against that New Orleans defense, eat up some clock, maybe keep Minnesota in this thing. But I'm with you. I think New Orleans just goes down there and just beats the doors off of them. Yeah, it's it's like I said, you know, looking for this to be the, that blowout. I think you're going to see a very high energy, high impact New Orleans Saints trying to, you know, to just reestablish themselves. So we've seen you're talking about these these contenders here down this stretch. The Saints have probably had the biggest letdowns at times. Some very tough losses, especially you know going back late in the season to that loss to Atlanta. I think you're going to see a very high energy. The Saints that that we have expected to see. Well, you know what's going to happen. The NFC Championship game is going to be New Orleans at San Francisco. I like you might as well just go ahead and pencil it in right now because the same thing that New Orleans is going to do to Minnesota this week, they're going to go up to Lambeau Field and beat the ever loving piss out of the Green Bay Packers. That's that's just what's going to happen. And then we're going to get the rematch. What was that game? Forty eight, forty five down there in New Orleans. Uh, absolutely. And it, and this will be, you know, kind of at the, the same tale last year, everyone was anticipating that huge rematch with the Rams and the Saints. Yeah, absolutely. Watch when they go out to San Francisco, it'll be like a 10 to seven game. Um, Seahawks at Eagles. This is probably the worst game that we're going to see. And, and it's not either one of these two teams fault. This is the two most beat up teams in the league. Reading through the Eagles' freaking injured reserve report is just sad. The number of guys that they have had hurt and had hurt all season. The thing I find interesting about this game was the line move. This game opened up. It was Philly by one and a half. It's now Seattle by one and a half. On the road in Philadelphia, that's really, really surprising to me. But there's two things that Carson Wentz has never done. He's never won a playoff game. And he's never beat the Seattle Seahawks. 0-3, four touchdowns, five interceptions, six fumbles, three of them lost. The last time they played was week 11. Seattle won that game 17-9. Wentz had four turnovers. In Philadelphia, correct? Yep. I'm going with Seattle. Uh, Certainly. I, I do. I wanted to talk about this when I jumped the gun here just a moment ago. I'm with you. I think that the Seahawks, they're a little better for the wear. Uh, I just think, you know, overall that they might, you know, just be the better team if even if you had full strength here. But it's it's pretty remarkable what the Eagles have done. And we've been down on them really, you know, the whole year talking just, just because of the, in the East itself. But the perseverance, for them to push through, and Wentz, he's got over 5,000 yards, but not a receiver with more than like 25 receptions. Yeah. Yeah, most, most of his receivers, his starting wide receivers on Sunday, either started the year as undrafted free agents or on most teams' practice squads. Well, I was going to just say, you know, we're talking about bowl season. This is like the practice squad bowl of football. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to the Eagles. I mean, we might not even know. They might not even know even a day, two days out, who's going to be ready for this thing. Alabama has more number one picks on their team than the Philadelphia Eagles do. I mean, that's a fact. Alabama's going to have like 12 players in the first round this year. And that's very telling of you know what they've been able to accomplish. You got to think you know, there's candidate for coach of the year up there. And it all comes down to Carson Wentz. He has been playing just absolutely great. The last five games, 1,509 yards, 10 touchdowns, one interception. But he's just never figured out Pete Carroll and that Seattle defense. I mean, and, and, and when I look at all the injuries that Seattle has, most of them are on the offensive side of the ball. For God's sake, they went and they brought Marshawn Lynch in. I mean, last week he had like 20 carries for 34 yards. He's not exactly beast mode. He's just kind of like, I used to be a beast, broed. You know, he, but comes in, I give you one or two yards of carry, you know. Well, I think, you know, outside of that, man, taste the rainbow. He brings that attitude. They wanted it, man. Pete Carroll was not going to make the same mistake twice. They brought him in last week. They got the delay a game, but that ball was going to Marshawn Lynch. Win, lose, or draw, that ball was going to Marshawn Lynch. Run the ball. You betcha. Right up the fucking middle. You betcha. Not running the goddamn slant pattern. That's for fucking sure. Looking forward to it. It should be a fun week of football. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening, and please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Then visit the other platform that you may not be listening to, whether it be the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, or Hameen Media, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Visit our sponsor, getacregold.com backslash horseman. That'll get you the promo code backslash horseman. Get a follow at Get underscore Acre on Twitter for your chance to win a free gold bar. RBB and I will be back in your ear holes later on today for the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Search Hitting the Marks on your favorite podcast listening device. Catch us Monday. Hami Media for your full Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash coverage. RBV, are you ready for Wrestle Kingdom? I juggle. I know you're not big for the holidays. You just see money signs. Those are big uh, time and a half days for you. This is what it's all about for you. Wrestle Kingdom is here. The two-day extravaganza. So many thoughts kind of running through my mind on this thing. So many questions for you. You know, our professor, our PhD in New Japan history, Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, it, It should be exciting no matter how you stack it up. Less than 24 hours to go, and I still have no idea who I think is walking out with both belts. It's an absolutely... That's the, be- that's the beautiful part of it. It's so great. You can find me on all social media platforms at NotJargo. We'll holler at you later. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya!